And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena on KZUM this morning. And what a lovely morning it is. We've got sunshine, a uh, little cool around, uh, I think, 48-ish when I left the house. I'm Jim Shorney, producer, and Scott Colborn is to my right here, hey. getting getting all the prep done. So uh, looks like we were ready to go. How are you today? We are ready to roll. We are ready to roll. Have you tried the coffee yet? Not yet. You, you threw the mic to me, so I had to talk. I couldn't sample the coffee. It's uh, Jack Reacher. Is it? Awesome. Yep. And, uh, Good stuff. I've got to find some more because we're down to the to the last of the last two pounds. Uh-oh, so that's a coffee emergency. Yeah, we uh, we have a lot of fun here with these great coffees on the yep. show. And, and uh, as you know, good conversation. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we're going to start the show off with Charlene and the Capital Humane Society, and then we're going to go to um, Paula Harris and UFOs, ETs, and exopolitics. Our main guest is a modern-day Charles Fort, none other than Brett Rains. We'll have a wide-ranging conversation. He's the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine, also has written two books. And so how's the coffee, Scott? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You, oh, yeah. You made it, so you should know how good it is. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's that's really yeah, good. I did, I did sample it here while you were talking, and it's most excellent. Okay, let's kick things off here with Charlene and the Capital Humane Society. Um, she should be right there. Hi, Charlene. Good morning. How are things out there with the cast and crew at the Capitol Humane Society? We're having a good start to the day. Uh, We had some volunteers in already to help us make sure the dogs got out. We had awesome volunteers helping us with grounds work, picking up all the litter that's blown in around the building. And so we are very grateful for all the support. Volunteers are awesome. They are. Yes, we, they are. We are. <laughs> we're, all, we're all volunteers here at KZUM, and uh, we have a lot of fun with it. Well, you guys do a great job. So what's new down there this weekend for you guys? Uh, we've got great animals looking for homes. We're getting geared up for our Tails and Trails Pet Walk. That's going to be just over a month away now, May 18th, at the Fallbrook Town Center. And there's a great way to uh, sign up and start raising money to help support all our programs at Capital Humane Society. So you just go to the uh, website and then click on the Pet Walk and Festival image there, and you can sign up to um, raise funds to help us with our adoption program, our spay-neuter program. It's really fun to watch the individual and the, you know, business leaderboards just light up and meet their goals. It's really fun. A Tales and Trails Pet Walk. Um, it's going to be at the Fallbrook Town Center. It's a really fun event. Um, again, you can start your fundraising page right away. We have several already going, several people that have already met their goal on the fundraising pages. So um, it's a fun day. And also prior to the event, you can um, be part of the fundraising. You can win prizes at different levels. Um, so, for example, uh, some of the prizes you can win would be um, a T-shirt and a leash and a poop bag dispenser and a tumbler. So it's really fun. 
and um, we really appreciate the support. I think we could use that leash for Scott here. <laughs> I had one of those other things in mind for you, Jim. <laughs> hey, so a peanut butter looking contest. Ooh. Yes. So that's a lot of fun at the event. Would it you is. enter that, Jim? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think I might. <laughs> It's when the owner versus their dog, and we see who licks a little bit of peanut butter off a paper plate the quickest. So I would have to have a dog, Tanner. Yeah. I, I can't enter just for the peanut butter. Well, you could compete with someone else's dog, I suppose. Oh, okay. <laughs> you could bring your cat out there and see if your cat would be interested. I don't interested. think she likes peanut butter. It probably would, yeah, wouldn't yeah, be much of a yeah, contest. Yeah, <laughs> In Boy Scouts, we had this competition. We'd take a saltine cracker. And we'd see who could eat a saltine cracker and then whistle. Oh. oh. Who could whistle the first? It's kind of messy, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> we're trying to get that around to try to get a whistle going. And, you know, peanut butter is real good on saltine crackers. Peanut butter is, you know what? One of my secret ingredients when I make a chili mm-hmm. is a spoonful of peanut butter. Uh-huh. And a spoonful of honey. I, I love peanut butter on a hot toasted bagel or hot toasted bread or frozen waffle toasted it's mac the good dog just simply loves peanut butter simply loves peanut butter (laughs) yeah if we if we want him to eat something like we have like a vitamin or a pill or something we put peanut butter on it Mm -hmm. bingo it's gone peanut butter is food of the gods (laughs) we've been putting peanut butter on apples and it's really good Mm, i like that yeah oh mm, Uh yum well uh this is charlene and this is uh, pet talk. I know it sounds like a comedy not, thing, but not we're having fun. Talk. <laughs> and we're, yeah, we're not food chefs, but this is this is pet talk, and uh, we've got cats for adoption. And Charlene's going to start us off with some great cats for adoption. We are going to start with Figaro, <laughs> and Figaro, <laughs> Figaro is so cute, oh, eight months old, a little neutered male, mostly black with some white. Just a sweetheart of a cat looking for a family that's going to treat him with kindness and just make him have a wonderful life. Kind of a, a tuxedo kitty. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Black with the white highlights and uh, alert look on his face. And look at those white whiskers. That is and just he's just, cool. yeah, very affectionate and playful and engaging. A really good Ooh, companion. He looks like a playful guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, Figaro, our first cat up for adoption, and Figaro is joined by... Mango, and Mango's very pretty, a neutered male, domestic long hair, has very fluffy fur, um, white on his face and neck area, and then a really dark orange tabby marking, it's just really pretty, Um, bright eyes, kind of an amber color, and just playful and fluffy and deserving of a great family. Kind of looks like he fell halfway into a can of paint. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What a beautiful kitty. And I like mangoes. Maybe you'd like mango. Watch along with us. Look at the picture. Click on the thumbnail, and it blows up for a a bigger description. Mango at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And then there's... Stormy. And Stormy is posing on her back. She's a very playful cat about... Two years old, has short, shiny fur. Uh, She is looking for a home without children and would like to be your only cat. Uh, But she is very playful and a lot of fun. And she knows a cat-savvy person is out there that will give her the perfect home. (laughs) The scratch-my-tummy position. Mm -hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, Uh go for my tummy and see if I claw you or not. (laughs) 
<laughs> Some of them do do that. Big Girl, Mango, and Stormy, three great cats. Um, you know, singular or two cats are better than one. These are fun, fun cats. See him today and tomorrow, and here's Charlene with Hours Open. Our Pylock Pet Adoption Center is open on Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 5.30. Once again, the Tails and Trails Pet Walk coming up May 18th. And information also at CapitalHumaneSociety.com. This is Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and it's time to talk about dogs for adoption. We're going to start with Al. Hi, Al. (laughs) And he is a handsome pit bull mix, about 62 pounds, six years old, and has lots and lots of energy, just like a puppy. He wants to run and play and toss his toys in the air and have lots and lots of fun. Um, He is looking for a home without kids, and he should meet other dogs in the home to make sure they will be good friends. So if you are interested in an active companion, you'll want to ask about Al. Uh, what a great-looking dog Al is, and I love his very subtle colorings on his forehead and face. Uh, beautiful dog. He's at CapitalHumaneSociety.org, and Al is joined by... Hope. And Hope is a pretty dog, mm-hmm. a lab pit bull mix, a spayed female about a year old. Uh, she, again, is very pretty, very bright. Uh, looking for a family that can provide her with plenty of exercise and attention. Uh, she wants to be your only pet, so no cats or dogs. And she also should go to a home without kids. Um, but if you're looking for a high energy and smart companion, ask about Hope. Beautiful dog. Pictures at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And then there's... Next up is Lucy. And Lucy is our younger little pup. She is only five months old, a lab pit bull mix. Uh, She's got some growing to do, needs some training. Uh, She's just full of energy and curiosity, Uh, needs somebody who does have time to provide her with some basic obedience so that she can learn to be a polite companion. Uh, But with proper guidance, she's going to be just a great friend. Uh, Lucy in the sky with diamonds. You can see picture Lucy at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Is that right? .org.com? Yes, .org. And uh, there there will be no singing, by the way, so you're safe. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Three great dogs, Al, Hope, and Lucy. And uh, better yet, go out and see them today or tomorrow. Please visit us at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center. We'll be open today and tomorrow from 11 to 530. Okay, so Shirley, I've got most of my yard work done. What are you doing today? I'll be here working. (laughs) There's plenty to do, uh, keeping all these animals well taken care of and helping our volunteers help us. Um, But again, we're going to enjoy this day just like you. It's so pretty outside, and we're grateful for that sunshine. Okay, thank you for all that you do. My best to all the crew out there at the Capital Humane Society. Thank you for everything. Jim, your mic's up. Oh, my mic is up. Okay, mm-hmm. I was wondering why I couldn't hear anything. Okay, well, what a great show we've got for you today. And looks like we've got listeners in... Uh, Costa Rica. Uh, Costa Rica, Venezuela, maybe, and over in Europe. Germany, perhaps, and uh, uh, who do we have there, Scott? Um, Lothingen, Germany. Lothingen, Germany. And another one in Germany. Greetings. 
And, of course, uh, across the USA, uh, across the Fruited Plain, we've got Nebraska and Kansas, and looks like maybe Connecticut, Connecticut or Rhode Island, uh, Carolinas. Um, Ashburn, Virginia. Virginia. Toronto. Toronto. And a bunch of folks in Lincoln. And, so. of course, Lincoln. welcome Lincoln, folks. Welcome everyone from all over the world. And speaking of welcome, let's extend that welcome to our next guest. This is Paula Harris with UFOs, ETs, and Exopolitics. Paul, what is Exopolitics? Well, hi, Scott. <clears throat> uh, well, the thing is this, that after many, many years of using... The term UFOs and not, you know, people not taking it seriously. I uh, met Michael Sala, Dr. Michael Sala, at one of the X conferences, and he was very interested in exopolitics because making it uh, sound like it's an academic or a political, you know, kind of uh, study, that it would become more serious. So the definition that we... Um, concocted for exopolitics was the uh, <clears throat> the study of the UFO uh, phenomenon and related uh, subjects and its uh, psychological, uh, sociological, philosophical effect on society. So that it wasn't just categorizing UFOs like Heineck used to do, you know, just a first and second and third and fourth kind close encounter stuff. It was more like, if this is real, how does society change? So if we do that, if we make it a study of social sciences, then people might, you know, take us seriously. Mm -hmm. So that then we coined that term, and then I started stamping it on the top of my book so that it wasn't like just U, uh, UFOs. It was like, uh, okay, well, if this is real, then what do you think this is going to just change everything the way we uh, look at it? And that is a more academic point of view, Scott, which is where I really am today. Um, you've gotten famous also in recent years for introducing people to a lot of uh, contactees, people that claim to have direct personal experience with the phenomena and with the occupants or intelligence uh, around it. Yeah, you're, you're, you might be referring, have you seen my Facebook post recently on the, on the Mauricio Cavallo story? I, I just saw it yeah, yesterday. Yeah, all the pictures of mm -hmm. the ETs that, that he took aboard ship with Polaroid camera. Yeah, I just saw it yesterday. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was hard to do, that story. I needed, that was in northern Italy in Vercelli, which is between Torino and Milano, which is Turin and Milan. And I went there uh, twice before I even decided to do anything. And uh, because it was just, for me, it was like too outrageous. And then on the third time I went back, he said, well, you know, Paula, he said, the beings told me that uh, 10 years ago, he said that an American journalist would be knocking on my door and that I was to let her in and to show her these Polaroids. And I thought, 10 years ago, you were told that was coming. <clears throat> and I got very, very nervous. And then he pulled out this album, you know, this old-fashioned plastic album, you know, with all the pictures. And these Polaroid shots were there, and I'm going, 
you can't fake that. There's no way. <laughs> you can't Photoshop any of that stuff, you know. So I thought, this is bizarre, but I know that if I release this, people will come after me. Um, but it isn't unusual for contactees, especially in Maurizio Cavallo's case, because he was a follower of Eugenio Siracuso, uh, who was our Adamski. I mean, as a young boy, um, what's his name, Maurizio, would hang out with Siracusa in Sicily, and Siracusa was like a guru, would talk to all the young people, and he was one of them. So I learned just in doing my research that if somebody has contact that's an older person and they have younger people under them, the ETs are usually uh, more uh, liable to go to the younger people because they already have a background. So that's what happened with Maurizio Cavallo. He was a follower of Eugenio Siracusa. And, and then all at once, when he's married and has kids up in northern Italy, a ship lands during a picnic, uh, and these people come off. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, people, because then I have to wrap my mind around people. They're people. They're people. Get off this abduction stuff. There there are extraterrestrials who are people. And then I have to, and, and, and if you see the photos, they're from Clarion, which is a real planet. And so I'm going, okay, well, you're going to have to, like, look at a whole other aspect of this because you're so brainwashed with the abduction little gray alien cartoonish thing that you when you start looking at the fact that these are people uh then you have to uh, you know weigh everything in your mind you know because there's other people out there and I'm, i keep right. using the word people because they are people well, we, we had the uh, Robertson panel that was either in 52, 54, that said that um, that we should go to great lengths to try to um, confuse people, and in fact, we should try to embed people in media to try to help guide the uh, the storyline and to uh, uh, ostensibly to avoid panic, but also to control the the narrative. And so, it's not surprising that over the years, Paula, we've had a lot of ridicule. Uh, aimed towards the subject. Uh, if you get people to make fun of something or make people laugh at something, um, then they won't take it seriously. And it's not just that you've had one case. What about Ricardo Gonzalez? Uh, I met him yeah, several years ago, it, and I was very impressed yeah, it, with Mr. Gonzalez. Yeah. Yeah, well, Ricardo is from Peru, and Sisto, and he was a follower, again, of Sisto Paz Wells, uh, Cesar Paz Wells and his brother Charlie and seven other young men were having constant interaction uh, uh, with human-type aliens coming off ships. They would go in the ship. My God, they'd walk right into the ship when the beings would say, come on in. And I, I talked to all those guys, and Ricardo was part of that group, the Rama group that um, that Sisto, see, he was the, you know, you see, I said there was one man that had the contact and then all the younger people underneath. Well, Ricardo was part of that group. So when he began having contact with people from Apu, uh, the planet Apu in the, in the uh, Alpha Centauri belt there, um, he he was already he was already part of something that, that started like that. He was already part of a school of, of young people in Peru. We're talking Peru now. Mm -hmm. But then if you want to go even, I had to go back to Adamski, Van Tassel, Menger, 
uh, Orfeo Angelucci and the giant rock guys who were constantly having contact through uh, crystal radios with human-type beings. <clears throat> Orthon came from Venus, uh, supposedly, put his foot down in Desert Center, California in, the 19, in 1953, and he was a human. And then I had to go back to all of that to try to bring that history forward. So today in 2018, in my conferences and in my lectures, I say, hey, people, we have people visiting us. It's not little gray alien abduction stuff. Uh, <clears throat> like you believe that's all there is. There's people, and they're people that are much more evolved than we are, have been through what we've been through, and are warning us about the ecological disasters of the future that we could, those are the things we can control. Okay, mm -hmm. those, the, the way we treat Mother Earth is the way we, things are, we can control. Mm -hmm. Maybe political and, and scientific and bombs and nuclear, we can't control. Uh, the ordinary person can't control. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's that's been my mission in, in, in Laughlin and Starworks to show that, yes, uh, we have uh, had in the past contact abduction-wise, but mostly it's been the messages of other civilizations that are much more evolved that we need to listen to. Mm -hmm. And then it's changed their societies like it could change ours. So uh, apparently these, these people, um, these extraterrestrial people, uh, have reached out to a number of individuals. We can guess probably um, government, uh, lawmakers. They've appeared to ordinary people um, with this message that's pretty consistent uh, to be concerned about the environment, concerned about nuclear weapons. And uh, again, folks, I met um, Sixto Poswell. Uh, I met Ricardo Gonzalez. Very impressed with both of these gentlemen. These are not people that are frothing at the mouth and um, are not able to be coherent, very intelligent men. And uh, when you have a chance to, uh, like at the Starworks conference, when you have a chance to... to sit and be with these people, uh, it can only uh, raise that intelligence bar a number of degrees because you realize that there's a real story here. Paula, uh, for many of the people that are listening, uh, you appear on the show as a regular guest, but they may not be aware that every November you're producing this um, gala conference in Laughlin, Nevada. It's called the Starworks USA UFO Symposium. And that title symposium sometimes means like it's an academic thing, but it's open to the public, isn't it? Yeah, I'm trying to change the face of conferences. Uh, you know that I'm a teacher and I have a master's in education, and it really bothers me that UFOs are looked at as entertainment. So <clears throat> in order to make it more serious, uh, I'm trying to bring together, and, and it is not all that serious. You, you know we have entertainment. You know we dress in a certain color. You know that it's fun. <clears throat> so it is fun, but the, uh, the, the discussions, the dialogue that's on stage <clears throat> is darn serious. And it's, uh, it also poses questions for our future, and it poses the most important uh, you know, question, ethical questions. 
and and Scott, you've been there during the panels, which are the most stimulating of all, because like this year, we're going to have a panel on, on remote viewing because the theme is remote viewing, which is really ESP, which is the language of contact. I mean, these right. beings <clears throat> may speak the language, uh, your language, but they do direct thought transfer, which means telepathy. And yep. telepathy it can't only be looked at as as a military remote viewing of how to find you know, strategic places in the Middle East. I mean, we can't use remote viewing only for that. Telepathy is a strength that we all have. And and so that is the theme this year. And telepathy is how the ETs talk, because they don't, you know, they, they do, they, they uh, you know, flash in your mind in your own language, whatever they're trying to say. And you have the grandfather of ESP research, uh, tell us about this gentleman and how you landed him to be one of the the speakers. You mean Russell Targ? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> well, I've known Russell for <laughs> forever. <laughs> I've known Russell Targ for about 15 years. When I was in Italy, Russell and his wife used to come to my house all the time, so we'd have conversations in the living room. I invited Russell many times to conferences in Europe and we became personal friends. We're close personal friends. I just had dinner with him in San Francisco. He's aging and was wondering if he'd even make it November, and so I arranged to drive him out. I've got somebody driving Russell to the thing. But Russell worked at SRI with Hal Putoff, and they examined Dory Geller, as you know, in the early with Ingo Swan being the guru who did everything. Uh, and the thing is that, that Stanford Research Institute is the one that did the most studies, I think, and the most serious studies of, of uh, paranormal and, uh, and uh, telepathy. So Russell uh, has a new movie called, um, I think it's called uh, Three Eye Spies, and it's about the CIA's involvement, and he wants me to... Uh, screen that movie Saturday because he's so excited and oh, loves cool. the movie so much. And so he's he, he agreed to come on sit on the stage uh, because he's he's older now. I don't want him standing up for an hour and dialogue with Uri Geller direct from Israel, who, who was cool. <laughs> who was uh, you know the the person that they tested and talk about the. Uh, the importance of, of uh, telepathy, ESP, psychic research, and so forth. So that's going to be historic, Scott, and I'm so happy you're going to be there. Oh, I, I hope that these gentlemen get a standing ovation. I'll certainly be on my feet with my hands clapping. This is really a, a brilliant move on your part, Parla. And I've, I've argued, ladies and gentlemen, for this sort of thing for years. We've got to bring in other disciplines to the study of UFOs. If we just want to talk about who's got the best photograph or who's analyzed the, the, uh, the best video, we've done that. We've, we've already been there. We've got to go beyond that. We've got to bring other disciplines in because that's where the, the answers are going to be that leads us forward. And Paula, uh, you've done a great job. Um, this is as much a social event. I get to see my buddy uh, James Rigney. Um, uh, James from Australia. There's a number of people that show up there every year. Uh, and all thanks, young lady, to you. 
Well, thank you. Uh, that's what I want. Is that's what it's about is networking and dialogue, Scott. I mean, people just sit there and talk because they can't talk to, you know, their family members or the, you know, regular, uh, you know, work people. So they get to be, you know, they get to be in an area where they can share, share ideas. And, and it's very exciting. And I invite all of your listeners um, uh, to be part of this and to sign up before August 1st because that's when the last savings is. And the website is www.starworksusa.com. Okay, starworksusa.com. And Starworks does not promote fear. It is not a fear-based event. There is an event going on this very weekend. I looked at some of their speakers. That was the first thing that I said to myself, wow, aliens are bad guys. They're here to get us. They're promoting fear. So hats off to you, Paula. It's great that you're doing this. I can't wait to get out there with you and my other friends. The uh, website is starworksusa.com. And what are you doing for the rest of the weekend, Paula? Oh, my God, I'm waiting for the sun to come out. Scott, I'm sick of this. We got snow. I mean, I don't know if you're getting snow next because it's coming. I'm in Colorado, so it comes down the the corridor there. But I have been waiting to sit outside in the sun, and we're in April, and there's snow on the ground here. So I don't know. I'm going to try to take a walk and beg the sun to come out because (laughs) it's been a long winter. Long winter. Okay. All my best to you, Paula. Keep on keeping on. All right. Thank you. You take care, Scott. The address again for the conference in November, uh, starworksusa.com. I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorney. Man, that coffee is good. It sure is. I've got to get some more of that. I think we can arrange that. We've got uh, our friend Colleen. She's here. She's out making connections with her main guest. Yeah, we put her to work right away. Um, that's going to be Brett Rains. Brett's coming up. He's the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine, and we're going to have a great conversation. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model back. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. KZUM's new podcast partners program aims to support producers of original content who are motivated to create podcasts that enrich the perspectives of our audience as an extension of KZUM's mission to inform and entertain the Lincoln community. If you're interested in bringing a podcast idea to life, the podcast partners program might be for you. Find out more and apply at kzum.org slash podcasts. Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Sure great to have you with us. Paula Harris and I were just talking about the weather. Jim, Colleen, it looks like we've got uh, mostly blue skies out there. Yeah. And uh, probably in the uh, 50s today, I think. I think so. I've gotten all my, my yard work done, so I'm just <laughs> resting easy now. And I, I love this weather. I've got fertilizer down. Uh, I use a product called Milorganite, which is an eco-friendly fertilizer. I've got grass seed down, and I'm just doing great. Well, our current conditions are 44 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, it's 7 degrees C for you, you folks over in Europe. Uh, fair, uh, humidity at 51%, and wind uh, from the north at 18, gusting to 23 miles per hour. So not a bad day at all. Mm. Uh, Colleen and Jim. Yes. When I say and use the term mystery quest, what does that conjure up in your mind? Ooh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Lots of interesting things to, to mm-hmm. look into and, and chase down, explore the possibilities, food for thought. Arp, how about you, Colleen? It's pretty, pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And I think, like, Anybody who's into video games, that's like the first thing is like, ooh, a quest. A quest. Time time to just see where the road leads you. We're going to find something. We're going to travel new roads. That requires one to have an open mind. Make mm-hmm. some new friends. Lots of intelligence. Yeah. Perceiving, trying to understand. Um, Figuring out puzzles. <laughs> or, yeah, puzzles. Well, we just described the life work of our next guest. Cool. Brent Rains. 
He's the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions magazine. And as far as I can tell, and Brett, you be sure and correct me if I'm wrong here, but he's been on a lifelong mystery quest. Brett Rains, good morning to you, sir. Hey, Scott and Jim and Colleen. Good, good morning. To be on your show again. What, what, uh, is, what been, is a mystery uh, quest to you, Brett? Uh, well, for me, uh, it's, it's uh, exploring, uh, reading about, trying to research, investigate things that we don't really fully understand at this time. Some, some things that people have denied for years, uh, don't believe in, uh, still don't believe in, but that uh, there's a lot of, awful lot of people who nonetheless still claim that uh, there are these peculiar, uh, very peculiar anomalies in this world that uh, mainstream science and uh, uh, mainstream religions don't quite uh, accept and can't, you know, quite mm-hmm. fit into their perspectives. But, uh, yeah, certainly um, a lot of the things that uh, interest me and, and you as well and uh, the others in your studio there, uh, UFOs and cryptozoology, uh, parapsychology, and all of those mysteries that... Uh, Really, you know, even though they're they deny them, they're coming closer and closer. It seems like to uh, more and more people in science uh, acknowledging a lot of these things that have been denied for so long. So uh, I feel like we're getting some some vindication going on here. Mm-hmm. So if you had a way to go back and, as a young man, make a decision on whether or not to embark upon this lifelong pursuit or quest or to not do it what would you what would you decide oh well um gee you know hindsight's always better than foresight but i would still i would still pursue it um i would do things i think a little differently uh than i than i did but uh, i think everybody's you know in, in the same boat uh much of the time uh, some people, of course, they, they do it right the first time. Lucky them, but, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of things to learn about and to uh, kind of um, learn to wrap your mind around. And in the beginning, like with my own quest, I was quite limited right in right at the start. You know, I had mm-hmm. just read uh, uh, Frank Edwards' Flying Saucer's Serious Business. Sure. And uh, my mind was focused simply on an either-or proposition, either there extraterrestrial visitors or else they're um, um, just like the Air Force was saying, you know, hoaxes and temperature inversion of Venus on the horizon or weather balloons and so on and so forth. And uh, I, you know, I was very young at the time, uh, 14, and uh, initially 13 when I, I know in the uh, March 1966 wave that uh, Michigan a lot of it got a lot, most of the publicity of the swamp gas thing with Heineck, but uh, we were I was living in Maine, grew up in Maine, and uh, at the time there was uh, a lot of activity in our state. And I remember my father and I were watching the sky some nights to see if we could see some of these uh, weird things flying around. Uh, but you know, then there were the writings of uh, people like John Keel and Jock Lee as I began to delve into this and I I realized uh you know there was perhaps more to it and uh the more I, I read into this the more I 
I became impressed by their evidence and thought, you know, maybe go back and do do my homework here, reconsider some things, and look at the paranormal elements and so on, and whether there's uh, interconnectivity to, mm-hmm. to the experiences, what they were having. And, uh, and so I actually, you know, began, of course, corresponding with a lot of people and then ventured out into the world myself. And in 75, I actually uh, spent about two months on the road and went from Maine to uh, Florida interviewing researchers and uh, experiencers. And that was quite a quite a process, uh, and uh, so that was how my my uh, interest and awareness kind of evolved in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I'm still still at it, uh, <laughs> you know, taking little baby steps and moving up to bigger and bigger. Uh, it's still probably baby steps, but you know, it'd be nice if we could get a foundation that had millions of dollars and helped uh, uh, move things along even faster, but, you know, that's... <laughs> you mentioned earlier that, that you had changed some things uh, and you sort of intimated that there were mistakes made. You know, sometimes mistakes teach us more. Uh, one of my favorite bands was The Grateful Dead, and they would mm-hmm. intentionally work themselves into a tight musical corner just for the exhilaration of working themselves out of that place. So in their music, you had a lot of darkness, tumultuous stuff, and you also had the sun rising and a dawn emerging and uh, hope and and, uh, joy. And so I I think mistakes teach us a lot. Brett, I, I'm the same way. I could not go back and decide any differently. Uh, to think of, of how my life has been enriched by being blessed with a curious mind, and then as an eight-year-old having an initiatory experience, that's what I call it now, where mm-hmm. I said to myself, wow, if this stuff is real, I'd love to someday be older and research this and find out more about it. And now I'm so blessed I've had this radio show to talk with people like yourselves um, every Saturday morning now for over 34 years. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I'm glad I made no, those decisions. Know, and, and, and I've also thought about, you know, well, if you did things too differently, you might not end up being the person you are and, mm-hmm. and enjoying, you know, uh, your life enriched as it is. I mean, uh, I'm originally from Maine. Uh, I, I ended up here in Tennessee because of my interest and my travels. And I've got, uh, you know, a beautiful family here. And, and if I had done things too differently, uh, then Lord knows <laughs> what my life might have been like. So I, you know, I am I am grateful for all the good things in my life. And I I wouldn't want to change things too drastically. Uh that's for sure. So when, when uh, one is curious and has this sense of, of being on a mystery quest, um, what are some of the paybacks, some of the benefits? Well, in, you know, in other words, like we're you, saying to people why, why they should be curious and open-minded. What's, what's in it for them? Well, um, 
I think the the knowledge that they are, you know, they're not just settling for what someone else uh, provides as a definition or explanation. Um, you know, they're actually actively trying to uh, become involved with with other people with uh, who have certain knowledge, experience, uh, backgrounds that uh, might help to make more informed decisions. And I love to, uh, like you as your your program that goes back to 1984, I, actually the beginnings of my magazine here was in, in 85. And uh, wow. I've, I've done, uh, you know, a lot of, inter- like to do interviews with, with people. We had uh, three interviews in, in the latest April issue. And, uh, you know, a lot of very interesting guests, and, and, and uh, I love to travel to, if I attend a, a gathering or conference, uh, I, I, I enjoy just networking with the people that are there and seeing what, uh, you know, what their journey has been like mm-hmm. and uh, what, what sort of experiences and, uh, have happened to them and how their whole process has, has evolved. And, um, you know, it's... And and I've you know I know when I was just starting out I I actually started corresponding with Keel in October of '69. Uh, wow! <laughs> and uh, I I asked him you know like I, I needed some pointers you know, <laughs> and uh, he presented these things that I should do uh, like study up on uh, uh, religious studies and medical history and 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 I thought doggone this sounds like. Uh, going to college here, you know, I was just a teenager. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, I have realized the value of, of trying to understand what I could and, uh, aligning, you know, working with people who had backgrounds in those areas so that I would have someone I could go to for, you know, their thoughts, their mm-hmm. advice. And, um, you know, I recently, a few months ago, I started, uh, what I call a panel interview that's uh, audio, and uh, it's pre-recorded. But we 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 get someone on who can speak very knowledgeably uh, from a background. Uh, we had um, as one guest uh, Dr. Greg Little, who's mm-hmm. a psychologist who's been involved with my magazine from from 1985, and uh, then uh, Anthony Peake over in uh, England, who is uh, was one of my uh, I think I as far as here in America, he was. Our guest on on uh, alternate perceptions interview um, in about late 2007, and he was he said we were one of the first American magazines to actually uh, reach out to him, and he's been very interested in quantum physics and the connection with near death experiences and uh, all sorts of psychic phenomena, and he's working on a book on uh, the alien phenomena. So this will, I think this will be his eleventh book, I think. So uh, we did an interview with him, and, I, and my panel consists of uh, of people like uh, we got a PhD in neuroscience, and another PhD in, in uh, psychology, and so these are people from academic backgrounds, but they're very interested in the UFO contact phenomena and, and the quantum physics and uh, parapsychology, the whole kit and caboodle. In fact, some of them have actually had their own experiences. Mm-hmm. So. I- I just had Paula Harris on uh, prior to uh, the start of our conversation, Brent, and Paula and I Mm -hmm. were talking about the, 
at, at least I lauded her for the inclusion of cross disciplines so that we learn more about the subject, uh, bringing in people from other backgrounds that are interested, that have qualifications, so that we learn more from different perspectives. And it sounds like your panel's doing that, that same sort of thing. Right. That's that's what I had in mind uh, is the kind of the, you know, interdisciplinary thing that really is seriously lacked in, in, in the UFO field in the yep. past. Yep. But I think you're seeing more and more of it evolve. And um, I was, you know, for example, um, I know going back to 1990, um, I wrote a forward and afterward to my friend uh, Greg Little's book, People of the Web, which, which dealt with shamans, abductees, apparitions, uh, near-death experiences. And uh, in my afterward, I wrote, you know, how I thought it would be really valuable if we could understand the experiences more and 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 do like brain scans, MRIs, um, to see what's, you know, going on, say, like when they're in hypnosis, they have sometimes even like stigmata-type patterns appearing on their skin uh, that reoccur that they had during the initial experience. And um, so I thought this would be really great, but it's a very expensive process. And uh, in the February reality check-in of my magazine, I'd, I wrote about uh, something I'd recently learned, and it was about this November 30th of last year, uh, meeting at uh, Harvard Medical school, uh, a program called, our conference called the Space Genetic Symposium. And the presentation was anomalous mental phenomena, and it was a, a Dr. Gary Nolan, who's a uh, PhD, works at uh, Stanford School of Medicine in uh, a department of microbiology and immunology. In fact, his, his lab is called the Nolan Lab, and uh, he's a uh, considered an expert in gene mapping and everything and, and uh, genetics. And uh, he's working with a uh, Christopher Kit Green, who's a forensic neurologist who, you know, I thought, well, they're, they're doing brain scans of uh, experiences who are describing seeing strange orbs and hearing voices and all of this. And I thought, wow, this is, this is what I've felt, you know, that mm -hmm. needs to be done. And so I contacted him and he's, uh, he's, told me, you know, little bits and pieces. And then I realized Christopher Kit Green. Uh, that name sounds familiar. Actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it goes back to November 1972 when he operated, worked at the CIA's Weird Desk uh, as the Life Services uh, Division uh, man who, head, who was uh, assigned to the handler of Uri Geller and others by... Uh, the then CIA director, Richard Helms. And, uh, you know, no, I, I'm, you know, I, I talked years ago on the phone with Uri Geller, and, and I also talked with uh, Eldon uh, Bird, who was a naval scientist, and talked about, you know, all the, the different studies that were going on back then, and they kept referring to, uh, you know, this handler, this person in the CIA that they would connect with, but never knew a name. And uh, now we know who it who it was, and his, his identity became known back in 2007 because of a PBS series called Secrets of the Dead. And uh, being a forensic guy, he did a lot of uh, you know autopsy work and stuff with for the CIA. 
and uh, had received a National Intelligence Medal. Um, there was a in the PBS series there was a story they ran about him that uh, there was a Bulgarian dissident over in England back in 1978 that uh, had been hit by the what they call the umbrella assassin uh, was the KGB uh, that did the hit. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> here's the same guy that years later is, is uh, still interested in uh, UAP, UFO, whatever you want to call it, type uh, people. He's got all these, many of them military background, uh, who have had experiences, and they're studying them, doing MRIs and and uh, and... So I mentioned to this Gary Nolan about the uh, the incidents down in in uh, Corrales, Brazil, at, uh, this island called Claris that's at the uh, mouth of the Amazon. And back in 1977, 78, there were all these reports. Uh, this doctor on this island had about three dozen or maybe just a little more of these patients who described uh, being struck by a a beam of light. There was intense UFO activity. The Brazilian military was on the island observing, taking photographs, and uh, studying the phenomena directly, as well as another separate camp of uh, news media people. And uh, and anyway, uh, Jacques Valley went down several times and investigated that and other Brazilian cases. And uh, when I mentioned about you know this interest in uh, that he and uh, this Green had an injury cases uh, involving beams. He said, oh, yes, uh, we've discussed this many times uh, with uh, Jacques Vallée. So, and, and he was going to meet with Jacques Vallée uh, later that week when I was communicating with him. So I thought, okay, this is pretty pretty interesting. Uh, Brett, we, we yeah, need to take a top-of-the-hour break here. So when we come back, Let's talk about the relationship between the study of UFOs and some other disciplines. And maybe one of our first touchstones could be, do you see any connection between the UFO phenomena and uh, ghosts or spirits? And I'm going to pick your brain a little bit if you'll allow me to. Hey, what, oh, is, sure. it's, it's, what is a good guy like yourself sitting in Tennessee this morning? What do you drink for a morning beverage? Oh, well. Um, Are you a coffee guy uh, or a tea guy? Some, uh, sometimes orange juice or a glass of milk. <laughs> okay. No stimulants for Mr. Rains, huh? Well, um, Coke. Coca-Cola. Okay. Well, besides besides Nebraska, Tennessee is one of my favorite states. I had a relative that lived down there in Norris, Tennessee, and fond, fond memories of Tennessee. So I think you picked a great place to hang out. All right. I think so, too. Uh, Brett Rains, the publisher of Alternate Perceptions Magazine, AP Magazine. It's been out since 2000, excuse me, 1985 and online since 2001. It's very easy to find. Go to apmagazine.info. Always interesting. You can sign up for a free uh, uh, newsletter that comes every month. Talks about uh, the live uh, or the the pre-recorded interviews, the research, and uh, our friend Colleen. 
was one of guests uh, of, of Brett Rains. I think, yeah, last... Yeah, the October, October issue of 2018. Yeah, cool. Um, I can't remember if it was before or after I came back from California. It might have been after because I was feeling kind of... Okay, gang, I've got to cut everybody <laughs> short because we are <laughs> time for the break here. So we'll be right back with Colleen, Jim, and our special guest, Brent Rains. And you guys and gals, we are exploring unexplained phenomena. Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln. Offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market. Thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM. I'm Scott Colborn, and it's great to have you folks with us. Um, we've got a number of people listening worldwide, uh, folks in Canada, folks in Germany, Venezuela, lots of people from the States. It's really great to have you folks listening. Our special guest is Brent Rains, the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions magazine. And regarding the need for this cross-discipline, interdisciplinary approach to understanding things, going outside just the narrowly defined field of UFOs and ETs. Brent, do you see any relationship with 
ghosts and spirits and UFOs and ETs? Yeah, a lot of times uh, there are, with the experiences of a, of a UFO encounter, usually a close, con- close encounter or even a, a contact where an entity is seen, perhaps uh, there's a memory of an interaction with the being, but uh, very often there is a reported increase in uh, psychic awareness or suddenly they have psychic awareness that they weren't previously aware that they possessed. And um, I know I have a friend uh, named Brett Oldham who uh, he has memories going back to about age five of both a uh, an alien encounter and uh, seeing his first ghost. And so for a lot of people, it's a lifelong long experience. And the uh, you know the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences uh, reviewed several thousand you know survey results. They had people all over the world submitting uh, surveys with uh, many, many questions. And uh, on the psychic thing, seeing ghosts, spirits, uh, angels, uh, having precognitive abilities, poltergeist manifestations, um, out-of-the-body experiences, again and again, uh, there was a significant profile, high profile of of, uh, a variety of these experiences. And I remember Keel years ago suggesting that uh, early on that um, you know ufology should be a branch of, of parapsychology mm-hmm. and then in another mm-hmm. place he wrote that uh, ghosts uh, aliens what's the difference you know mm-hmm. so he felt strongly that uh, there was a an overlap there that was neglected and uh, is a linking uh, factor there would it be consciousness yeah, I think that more and more people are looking at the, uh, you know, the the consciousness area, uh, trying to factor in how, uh, you know, there's this non-local component of, say, quantum physics uh, that people more and more are talking about. Of course, Keel was uh, talking about similar things back in the day, but didn't have the same, uh, using the same language that uh, people today are are talking about. Uh, he simply talked about uh, the electromagnetic spectrum, how change of frequencies and in and out of, say, into our visible spectrum from, say, the ultraviolet or the infrared. And uh, he talked about a parallel world. But um, as I recently was discussing with my friend, Dr. Little, uh, whether we're talking, you know, when you got, if, if you got parapsychology, you got quantum physics, um, whether we're talking ultra-terrestrial or extraterrestrial, which a lot of people love to argue about, uh, it's almost uh, unimportant. The fact, fact is you seem to be dealing with a, an interactive intelligence mm-hmm. of some kind that mm-hmm. seems to be have these very advanced components associated with them. And, um, and that's where we need to try to focus. And we can agree to disagree. Uh, you know, genuine science has this thing called peer review, and too many of the major organizations have just tried to, you know, if you become a member, they want you to uh, conform to their beliefs rather than, you know, saying, okay, why don't you pick this area and see what you find out, and then we'll peer review it later, you know. Mm-hmm. No, no, don't, don't dabble in this. <laughs> Strictly stick with the, the ET type stuff and that, that belief system. And, Brent and, has, uh, it, it hasn't worked. Go ahead, sir. I was just going to say that that just hasn't 
worked too well with us for the last seven decades. You know, we're still um, still in, in, you know struggling to try to define this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brent, do you see a, a danger that if we if we don't keep our minds open and do some critical thinking, that it's so easy to take a subject that we claim we don't know a lot about, therefore it's got to be evil, demonic, bad, out to get us, and that old fear of the unknown pops up. Um, I see that as a rising undercurrent in ufology. Uh, And some people are happy to jump on that bandwagon and say uh, that this is all just a smokescreen, it's all demonic. What what are your thoughts? Well, I I I have uh, you know considered that and uh, years ago and and thought what if you know because um, you know the the guy that uh, I was a real fanboy uh, John Keel he a lot of his material Christian writers were often using when they wrote about UFOs and the demonic things they were often using his materials because uh, he talked about these ultra-terrestrials and, and how a lot of them, uh, the things that were emerging, were, were very deceptive and misleading and almost demonic-like. So even though he was a lifelong atheist, they uh, they would use his <laughs> his materials, you know. And uh, and so I, uh, I kind of wondered about that, but I, I think a lot of it is uh, is stuff that may be similar, but it's not... You know, and, 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 and really, you know, when the, there's such a conflict, you know, you have your abductees, and in a lot of the free surveys, uh, the experiences are saying that the vast majority of them, their experiences were uh, very pleasant. They would like to have more interactions mm-hmm. in the future, continue, and let the process continue. And it's uh, almost, uh, for many of them, kind of a mystical, spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, you know, the people part of the equation needs to be studied. We, we, uh, some of this, some of the stuff comes from our, our backgrounds. Um, and, uh, I think it, uh, you know, we, maybe, uh, Keel talked about the reflective factor and psychologically, oh boy. uh, yep. <laughs> we may be just sort of, uh, given feedback, uh, to, a lot of elements of these experiences and the way we perceive them. That was Grant Cameron's, one of his theses last November at the Star Wars USA Symposium. Grant said, how can you have this UFO intelligence that is so diametrically um, opposite? And he cited uh, the contactee from Peru, Ricardo Gonzalez, where it's benevolent, it's the highest and best good, and um, the messages, the downloaded information is positive about helping our planet, helping people grow, making good choices, consciousness is the focus. And then he said, how do you contrast that with Skinwalker Ranch, where you've got these um, ex-Delta Force and ex-Ranger guys that are armed from the top of their heads down to their boots, that are ready and hoping to have some sort of encounter and the phenomena it's almost as if it says okay 
you, you want this? I'm going to give you that. And so they have um, um, uh, cryptids that are five feet tall running through there that are immune to bullets, and they have all sorts of strange things going on. I agree with Keel. It, it, I think this phenomena can be really ref- reflective, and it meets us in that nexus of consciousness. You know, if you... The old, right. the old Zen saying, Brett, if you think so, so. If you think not so, not so. Well, I know we were, I was talking, uh, me and some friends, during, during, during our panel interview with, uh, you know, Dr. Greg Little, and uh, he expressed the thought that he felt that we're dealing with an interactive intelligence, an energy form that, that uh, say, uh, it comes to into your presence and that it reads you and uh, it can also, uh, it can know you from on a psychic level and then uh, interact with you according to, uh, you know, whatever perhaps your expectations. Of course, this is very Keelian as well. Um, and so your, your, your journey with the experience uh, can be based on, you know, as you're just saying with uh, the Skinwalker Ranch, uh, being based on their background and sort of what they're they're working on. And uh, with this study, you know, that I, I've just mentioned with Green and, and Nolan, it's, it was interesting to me that, you know, they're, they're looking at these injury cases and, and so forth. And I asked Nolan, have you looked at any of the healing have they studied, you know, the genetics and done MRI scans with people who are healed in their encounters, which, um, you know, Free has documented, uh, say, they, in their surveys, they get, I think, around 50%. Well, it, you know, check off, yeah, we've. I feel like I've been healed in my encounter. And the answer was no. Interesting. And, uh, so, I, I, you know, um, I realized that we all, engage in this a lot of this and and our focus is you know drawn this way and that way and maybe uh maybe is kind of manipulated along the way uh certainly that was one of keel and, and valley is uh certainly following a lot of the same ideas that keel had in fact keel used to joke that he was uh valley's ghostwriter <laughs> <laughs> We've had uh, our colleague uh, uh, Preston Dennett on recently, and his book UFO Healings. Um, Jim, yes, yes. I, what is the? Is it five hundred pages? It's a it's a big book. I mean, you could use this thing for a doorstop <laughs> between readings, but these reports of UFO healings are out there. But you know, Brent, if I want to ask you if you agree with me here, let me let me just throw something at you. In terms of gaining information, you and I and other researchers, we have not had a level playing field because I believe that there is a secret keeper agency at work that is polluting that information flow that can restrict, that can channel information to individuals that can keep information away and it alters the playing field and part of that is I think human design we've got the people that have been trying to keep a a secret on this stuff if we want to say 
just UFOs or on unexplained phenomena for a long time. And their job is to try to confuse, disinform, ridicule, make fun of, um, impugn the integrity. So it's hard for you and I to get accurate information because I believe that there is this agency at work that's polluting that river of information. How do you feel about that? Well, I'd kind of go back to to Keel on on one area that uh, he felt a lot of times that we had unintentionally, um, you know, we're always, a lot of times the different organizations, APRO or NICAP, early on were trying to put the blame on the Air Force, the CIA, and a lot of times we had uh, sort of uh, censored our own um, material. Uh, For example, NICAP would not, because of the, you know, the the association they feared of of, uh, dealing with the lunatic fringe, the early contactees of the 50s, like George Adamski, who Kehoe was always attacking, uh, would make them look um, less credible if they, you know, uh, allowed any reports of aliens into their database or into their publication. Right. And so they, they avoided it like the plague. And uh, which was pretty much the approach that uh, the Air Force was using. You know, if it was a uh, a burn on the ground, it was probably done by teenagers from a supposed landing or uh, someone said they saw an alien. They were suffering psychological problems that uh, would be dismissed as that or it was a hoax. And, uh, and when Valley met Heineck back in 1963, um, Heineck was telling, you know, was was, well, Bally was telling Heineck uh, about uh, you know how he investigated the the some of the French wave the French wave I think of 1953 over there sometime in the 1950s anyway uh, as you get older your brain sort of <laughs> but uh, uh, there were hundreds of cases of, of uh, mm-hmm. close encounters and uh, you know Heineck hadn't really had exposure to to that kind of material at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so Hein Valley really kind of brought him up to speed and pointed out the significance of these because, you know, he'd been exposed to, you know, the people in the Air Force, the way they handled the material. Uh, he didn't see a lot of it because, uh, you know, they were dismissing so much of it. And, and uh, right. he was also only aware of the very physical report because I remember in, uh, even though they discussed apparitions and psychic phenomena and... Uh, Heineck was even involved with um, uh, Jewel Eisenbud's uh, study of Ted Sears. It's in his book, uh, The World of Ted Sears, the Chicago bellhop who could look into a Polaroid camera lens and snap a picture. And instead of seeing his face, you're seeing uh, images of uh, uh, street scenes or, uh, you know, buildings and things. Pretty hard to fake and, a Polaroid uh, camera shot. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And... Uh, and Heineck was involved in one of those sessions, and they talked about that in, in, uh, on the edge of reality back in 1975. Heineck and Valley and, uh, and some other people would sit down and have these conversations. They recorded them, and they put them in this, in this book. And uh, I came across one part. This was in 1975. It was published where Heineck was saying, um, yeah, it's interesting, the idea of apparitions, but uh, when it comes to UFOs, someone sees something and then someone else sees it. It's a very physical phenomenon, whereas ghosts, someone, some some people will see it and then others won't. And 
I thought, no, that's really not true. That's what he was exposed to and what he thought at the time, you know, from what he read. But, you know, there are people I just talked to, uh, Angela Shear, who's the uh, uh, MUFON state director here in Tennessee. And she was telling me that uh, she had changed her opinion about the nuts and bolts thing because years ago she had a good case of a pretty close-range sighting, uh, about 12 people along the beach, and they were seeing this craft. Four of them were seeing the craft, but the others were standing there, blinking their eyes, saying, I don't see anything. And they're saying, can't you see that? It's right there. And uh, And so, you know, if you go back to Young's book on UFOs back in the 50s, uh, Flying Saucers of Modern Myths of Things Seen in the Skies, he describes what he called the cycloid factor, um, cycloid, uh, where, um, again, you know, he couldn't account for it. He said there was one time he was, uh, I guess, in a seance setting. There was a, a medium who had this glowing orb over his stomach area, and there were five people marveling at, wow, look at that. And Young was there, and he was the only one who couldn't see it. And the others were quite troubled that, you know, you can't see that, you know? And so, uh, you know, it is kind of like, <laughs> some of this stuff is kind of like the, uh, you know, ghost phenomena, apparitions mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, how and, how uh, do you feel about... Uh the idea that there was a connection between unusual animals or mammals, we can call that, we use the term cryptozoology or cryptids, and the UFO phenomena. Is there a connection there between uh, Bigfoot, the abominable snowman, uh, Loch Ness yeah, Monster? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of troubling... Uh, you know, whenever you mention it to cryptozoologists, uh, a lot of them are kind of take offense that you would try to introduce that aspect. But, uh, um, yeah, right here in, uh, back in the 70s here in uh, nearby Flintville, Tennessee, over near Fayetteville, a little tiny little town called Flintville, it's just to the east of, uh, of Fayetteville, there was... Um, in this little community, there was a, a rash of, of this Bigfoot-type creature that was seen. And uh, one guy there told me that uh, every night that it would, uh, the creature would be around, they would see these little glowing basketball-type balls over the uh, pine, pine trees there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was hesitant to tell me that on my first visit. You know, I asked him about these lights I had heard about, and... He uh, he proceeded to tell me that, uh, well, he, he thought that the creature, which he had seen standing in his yard, which was hair-covered, stood up like a man, but he thought it was some sort of genetic freak of nature. And, uh, you know, a bear that had bred with some, something else or something. And, <laughs> and, and you know, on, on, again, on religious grounds, he said, I don't believe that we've been to the moon. Uh, God wouldn't allow it. And... and uh, and and I said, what about the lights? And and uh, he says, I don't believe in flying saucers. I'm not even going to talk about this with you, you know. And then I went back, and then finally he told me the stories, you know, what he'd experienced. And uh, and then in New Jersey, I was called in to investigate. Uh, I was living in Maine at the time, and 
uh, guy in Long Island. Um, can't remember how he got to know me, but he, he called me up and he said, I know these people near uh, Somerville, New Jersey, who are having UFO and Bigfoot sightings, uh, mainly the Bigfoot, and uh, uh, wonder if you'd like to come down, because you know, they knew I did some traveling back then. This was in 76. So in April 76, I... No, actually, it was April 77. <laughs> I went down there and uh, spent about close to a week interviewing all these people. And one of the stories that was an incident that happened just, uh, I think, a couple of months before I got there, this young man was walking along this uh, at night alone, um, along this uh, country road, and he heard footsteps behind him, and he turned around with his flashlight, and... Uh, Oh, wait a minute. Um, I'm not sure there was a flashlight. Better better, better back up there. Uh, he turned around anyway, and he was just like 18 inches from the face of a Bigfoot. They were face-to-face. Wow. And he said, we were like frozen. We Both of us were like just staring at each other. It was like we couldn't move. And he said, behind the creature, there was a tiny pinpoint of light making some kind of a high-frequency sound during this encounter. And he said, as soon as while they were face-to-face. And as soon as this light went out and the sound stopped, he uh, said it was like the creature blinked its eyes and turned around and went the other way, and he turned around and continued on his uh, return route to home. So there's some kind of weird stuff that's uh, going on. Of course, I met Stan Gordon in 75. Uh, Good man. He had a lot of... He had a lot of uh, cases involving the Bigfoot uh, back in the early 70s. And uh, one of them, which was investigated, too, by my uh, friend Dr. Schwartz, a psychiatrist originally from Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, Dr. Berthold Schwartz. Yes. And, uh, and so, you know, we discussed that case and others. There's one that intrigued me with a, a Bigfoot that was walking around with a, a glowing orb in its its hands and uh so yeah i'd say there's uh there's definitely uh evidence for interconnection in, in a lot of these cases and then there's the whole yakima indian reservation uh back in the 70s uh they had uh, a lot of activity and there were these balls of light and there were these uh bigfoot creatures and uh i learned from one of the uh People who used to work in uh, as a fire tech there used to be up in the lookout towers to watch for, you know, uh, any fires. Uh, he had seen UFOs, and he talked with the natives, and they had stories about uh, people who would be lost, and a Bigfoot would appear and, and uh, guide them back to the highway or something. They'd be lost in the woods. And uh, I remember there was a a lady mythologist who was uh, familiar with a lot of the Indian legends, and she told of a uh, story about a, one of these hairy brothers who had died, and the Indians placed his body up on a high mountain, and then this bright light came down, and, and then the body was no longer there. Our guest this morning is Brent Rains. He's the editor and publisher of AP Magazine, Alternate Perceptions Magazine. You can subscribe for free. And in fact, if you've enjoyed the conversation so far, I can't see why you wouldn't want to subscribe because it's filled with lots of interesting information. 
it's going to definitely broaden your horizons. Go to apmagazine.info. And Brent, when we come back from the bottom of the hour break here, I want to ask you about um, falls of objects from the sky and also about ESP and how that factors into a lot of these reports that we've been talking about. Oh, fair enough. I'll be right. I'll be right here. Are you enjoying yourself? Yes. I, hope I everybody else is. I am, Brent. I mean, I could I could do this for hours. You're my kind of guy. I just I so much enjoy these these discussions. So, um, I know that you've been busy, and I want to thank you in advance for being with us here. So, stay tuned. We'll be right back with Brent Rains. His website again is apmagazine.info. Colleen, Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I don't know about that. Colleen, you look like you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm all right. I'm just listening. I've been waiting for Colleen to jump in here. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Well, we'll have time yeah. for that. Yeah, we'll have time for that. <clears throat> this is Scott Colborn with Jim and Colleen, our special guest, Brent Rains. Thank you guys and gals for being out there. Don't go away. We're going to be right back after this. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And by... The Haymarket Farmer's Market, thanking its patrons and vendors for this past season. Vendor inquiries for the 2019 season at 402-435-7496 and lincolnhaymarket.org. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
Pick up lights Puff up my hair Put on my Vicky secret Underwear Little flirty skirt And my high heel shoes Gonna head on downtown Gonna dance away these blues You wore me on your arm Like a connoisseur But you only really liked me When I was properly demure Only right opinions Or the ones you brought Trophy girls just shouldn't have Independent thoughts And so you kicked me to the My glittered eyes and my puffed up hair and my empowering underwear. Shake my flirty skirt, pick my high heel shoes. Gonna hang out downtown till I dance away these blues. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Our special guest next week is going to be Dr. Jan Lindgren. And her doctorate is in educational psychology. She's a Jungian-based therapist in private practice here in Lincoln. And she's got uh, um, an ongoing dream talk group that meets tomorrow afternoon at 3 o'clock. And uh, there's no charge for this. You can call Dr. Lindgren at 402-488-1916 for more information on attending this Dream Talk group tomorrow afternoon. And she's our guest next Saturday, Dream Interpretation. And when, when you guys and gals want to really grow and better understand who you are, I recommend understanding your dreams. And we're going to get it deeply into that with Dr. Lindgren next week. One of my favorite subjects. Coming up in two weeks is Dr. Robert Davis. He's got a brand new book out called Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Previous books include The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe? And Life After Death, An Analysis of the Evidence. Three weeks from today is Lee Harris. His brand new book, Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving, and Awakening. Our special guest this morning is Brent Rains, the editor and publisher of Alternate Perceptions magazine. Uh, Brent, I investigated a report many years ago of, as odd and strange as this sounds, Falls of blood from the sky. Um, what about falls of objects or substances from the sky? Yeah, yeah, that's, um, of course, that Charles Fort, uh, they call, you know, the 
uh, was a, a, a writer who influenced John Keel and, and mm-hmm. others quite a bit. And, and uh, Can I give you a compliment? You, know, back in, you, you remind uh, me a lot of a modern-day Charles Fort, and I mean that as a sincere compliment. Okay, well, I'll, that's where I'll take it then. I <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, no, I just, uh, you know, I know that uh, Charles Ford had a lot of those those kind of stories, and that was what uh, Keel was, of course, heavily influenced by, by Charles Ford. And back in the 80s and into the 90s, Keel uh, reformed a uh, in New York City a uh, 14 society and had a lot of interesting uh a lot of interesting speakers. I think Brad Steiger, Tim Beckley, uh, Michael Grosso, and uh, and others, and tried to cover, of course, all these different areas. So I'm I'm not surprised. Um, that's a pretty. Would they have the blood analyzed or? Yeah, it was. It was. Nowadays? It was. It was human blood, and it seemed to be coming down on this one property. Uh, it wasn't falling across the street or down the block, uh, and this periodic blood fall would happen on this one property. Uh, and oh, so wow. one of my theories was that it was almost a, a, a poltergeist with one of the uh, young adults that lived there that was somehow influencing or manifesting this. Right. That's like uh, all those reports of... Uh you know, the stone-throwing phenomena, too, which Ivan Sanderson had experienced years ago over in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And he did something that was kind of unique. Uh, the stone would fall near him, and he would uh, take a marker some way and mark the stone, throw it out into the darkness, and then it would come back with the marked stones. And, Interesting. Uh, and a broadcaster who does shows with Tim Beckley, uh, Tim Swartz, uh, was telling me that uh, he experienced something like that near uh, Dayton, Ohio, years ago. Um, he worked for a uh, TV station in Dayton, and and they didn't really want to be involved in investigation, so he just went, they got a call from this family, and he just went on his own to investigate. And uh, he said the same thing happened to him. He remembered how Sanderson had handled it, and... Uh, so he went out back of the house, and these these rocks came down from the ceiling <laughs> while he was there. And so he marked them with a marker and threw them out in the backyard. And then pretty soon, he was quite flabbergasted. Uh, they would come back down through the ceiling. And uh, I was reading something that Brad Steiger uh, in his last book wrote that uh, was very similar to uh, was. It was uh, dealing with the Bell Witch, and some uh, some boys were um, throwing something in a bush or something. And uh, I'll have to reread that one uh, to give you an accurate uh, detail, or, or you know, uh, you can reread it yourself. But it's uh, there's so many little cross points of similarity that uh, you know it's it's always connecting the dots with this stuff, and uh, it's interesting to do. But um, what about ESP? Is that uh, does that factor into a lot of this? I know Paula Harris is very interested in that, and she's bringing Russell Targ to the conference this November in Laughlin, and uh, they're hoping to do a live hookup with Yuri Geller in Israel as well. 
What is ESP? How does that factor into this? Well, you know, it, it does. Um, and, and uh, you know, the free survey that I mentioned, it, it, uh, it uh, in fact, if anyone reads the Beyond UFOs, a very thick book that they put out, which I have a chapter in, by the way. Congratulations. Uh, uh, thank you. And it's, it's got a lot of uh, statistics showing that this is a, as a, a pattern. And, um, and it's, you know, Keel pointed out years ago, Valley has been finding the same thing. And, and, uh, Valley told me himself that he was, uh, he was called in back in 1971, uh, to, on a confidential basis to, uh, study the remote viewers that they were studying initially before they even went to SRI, uh, because so many of them were reporting UFO encounters. And they thought, well, Valley's the one to study that aspect. And a lot of them seem to have had memories going back early on in life of, uh, you know, this kind of a, a thing, uh, an involvement with UFO-type things. And where I met him uh, was back in 2005. We were both speaking at the uh, uh, UFO conference that the ARE, Association for Research and Enlightenment, the Edgar Casey Foundation in Virginia Beach, Virginia, was putting on. And uh, anyway, he uh, he was quite intrigued by the fact that Edgar Casey at a young age had experiences and, and uh, had an encounter with a uh, an angel that asked him, you know, sort of, what do you want to do with your life? And he wanted to, to help people. And he said, many of these uh, other people that were, you know, having experiences like, you know, people who were good at uh, remote viewing also had kind of similar experiences earlier in their lives. So, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's a factor that comes up in various various ways, various studies, uh, and I think through the years that just like the the early investigators, the organizations that ignored the uh, the fact that there were cases of UFO close encounters and the missing time aspect and and the entities that were involved, um, that uh, they also slipped up and missed out on the uh, you know. These early childhood psychic experiences and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have uh, we have glimpses of some of that information. Um, Wilbur Smith, um, who uh, was the Canadian uh, that was actively involved in in researching UFOs, he was really interested into consciousness and and uh, ESP. And I think Brent, uh, speaking for myself. After you go through the initial interest in nuts and bolts and you start, I think, by design and or because of uh, imperative of intelligence, you've got to start asking other questions. I think that these issues of consciousness, ESP, I think they come up. Um, And... I think you said earlier that that we really have to listen to the witnesses, um, and if I, yeah. if you, because I fully agree. Uh, we have so many cases, as you described early on with NICAP, uh, that there would be somebody saying, "And I had an onboard experience, and that was excluded." Richard Hall told me directly that. When they got those close encounter reports at NICAP, 
they put them in either the round basket or in the bottom drawer behind a bunch of stuff. Because of that, wow. that ridicule factor, they were afraid of that. They didn't want to be associated with, with the directed attempts to ridicule this. Uh, it was as if, if they accepted the close encounter reports, therefore they would have this great big target on them um, of ridicule and scorn. Brett, uh, and there's there's uh, still there's still some of that mentality that still exists even today. Yes, although there's a lot more openness toward it. But we've got about two or three minutes left, so I want to ask you: Can you tell us about one of your own personal extraordinary experiences that, in the quiet times of day or night, that comes to your mind that you say, "Yep, that." that's convinced me that there's more to reality than just consensus. What about one of your own experiences? Well, you know, I, I, uh, when, when I found out that John Keel had passed, I thought, what a, what a loss, you know, mm-hmm. he passed on July 3rd of, uh, of, uh, Oh, let's see. Uh, July 3rd of 2009. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I was uh, I'd met Brett Oldham, a, a, an abductee, although he didn't he didn't go public until uh, you know a couple years later. But uh, he'd had experiences with paranormal phenomenon and alien type phenomena going back to age five, as I stated earlier. And uh, anyway, I was I met up with him and uh, Sandy Nichols, who was also a abductee. He said, and, and also uh, he also described a, a lifetime of paranormal experiences, ghosts and such. And so uh, we were got together and doing some investigations, went different places, and uh, and anyway, John Keel came up in the the audio uh, on the the so-called ghost box or spirit box, and uh, it's a, simply a a radio that's on continuous scan, and and you look for voices to come through in the white noise between the stations. And Brett told me, I just heard John Keel. And so played the tape back and there were two places where we could hear John Keel. This was in um, around May of uh, uh, 2010 and it was actually you know, almost you know, just a few, you know, almost, uh, well anyway, at the time I was I was trying to think, well, you know, we've got to think rationally here. Uh, is there a possible explanation? I'd never heard John Keel actually mentioned on AM radio, or, you know, <laughs> FM, uh, um, and here I am way down here in Tennessee, and I'm, right. we're out in the country in uh, Clifton, and uh, along the Tennessee River, and, and so I, I, you know, what, what, what's going on? So we met again at uh, Sandy Nichols' house up in Thompson Station, south of Nashville, uh, on, it was July, July 3rd of 2010, the one-year anniversary of Keel's passing, and I mm-hmm. says, how about we see if we can talk to Keel? Everybody was agreeable. Well, there were so many unbelievable things that came through, and we had, I guess all three of us had our tape recorders operating. Uh, I know Brett and I did. Um, and, you know, Brett asked, uh, you know, his guide, could John Keel speak with us? And within, uh, I'm going to say a couple seconds, a male voice says, John Keel. And, wow. you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, and, and it's all on, rec- it's all recorded. <laughs> and we, uh, I asked the question, uh, 
well, what can you tell us about Jadu? Because I didn't think anyone else there knew about mm-hmm. Jadu. So I thought I'll bring up something they're not familiar with. And this voice immediately replies, strong male voice says, uh, Jadu, eh? And, you know, I thought, well, it'll strike the iron while it's out. Yes, what can you tell us about Jadu? And it says, into the fire, into the fire. And then it, this voice keeps rambling on, which, you know, usually with uh, these scans, you're, you're, and they break up, you know, because it's passing through the, the spectrum of, of radio frequencies. Uh, and But I could still hear part of his voice, just couldn't make out what he was saying. And then it says, teach me outside. And then that was pretty much the end of that. But Amazing, uh, Brent. Wow. But Brett asked him, what can you tell us about Bigfoot? And the voice said, smut Bigfoot, see? And I thought, holy cow. So then I... I wrote something later. We did enough, another session around midnight, and I wrote some things down on index cards. And I didn't show them to the two guys. And then uh, we started it up again. And uh, one of the things we got was uh, I had written MIB. And every once in a while, it seemed like you'd hear M, B, and then finally MIB, <laughs> like that. And so we, after that session, for weeks, months afterwards, we would we would try that and try to get you know the voices to repeat uh, what was on the paper. And one time we got it where it was uh, I wrote it for some reason something on one side of this sheet of typing paper and then something else on the other side. And Brett and I were there. He was trying to call out, you know, what what is on this paper I'm holding, and. The word was the word was said, and uh, Sandy Nichols was sitting on the other side of this table, and he let out uh, uh, an excitement and says, "Holy, you know, blank, blank!" <laughs> uh, it just said the word on the other side of the paper, which was Jessup. Oh wow! And, uh, and then one time, uh, I was doing this little game. You know, I knew Keel. Uh, he was always told what he thought, and sometimes it was pretty uh, caustic, you know. And I yep. said, what do you think about this person and that person? And anyway, as I started to tell what we were going to do, this voice that to me sounded kind of like John Keel said, and what I'd like to say about you. <laughs> uh, that's Those are amazing personal stories, Brent. And, and as I said earlier, I could go on for hours, but I've got to call a halt now. Um, right, I understand. I want to thank you <laughs> but so much. I appreciate I want to thank you so much for yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Brent, and I really appreciate your intelligence and your open mind. I would encourage our listeners to go to uh, apmagazine.info and sign up for Brent's newsletter. And please, Brent, the door is open anytime you want to come back here. I so much enjoy the conversations. Well, thank you very much, Scott. I, I appreciate it, and I've enjoyed myself. All the best to all the volunteers in Tennessee. All right. Thank you. You you guys take good care. Scott Colborn with Colleen and Jim. Um, We've got time for about 60 seconds of what you guys are doing this weekend. Going to be enjoying the warm weather. Yep, just home relaxing. Home relaxing. Yep, that's that's the plan. (laughs) Okay, Beta Radio is up next, and these are brand new... 
and sometimes not so brand new programmers that are sort of testing a radio show. And it's going to be a lot of fun. They're coming up here. I have no idea who it is, but they're coming up in just minutes. (laughs) I saw that there. Stay tuned next week for conversations with Dr. Jan Lindgren, Dream Interpretation. And, uh, oh boy, I can't wait. Oh boy, yeah. Thank you so much to Rosemary Ellen Guiley and to Shelley from Canada for their donations of not just one, but multiple phone cards. Conversations with people like Brent Rains were made possible by their generosity. Rosemary and Shelley, thank you. All you guys and gals out there, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for being out there. Until next week, walk in beauty.